0: Hi, you're listening to Cool Story with Brian and Bridie, where we talk about our stories, the best stories and the biggest story of the week. For this special summer listening edition, uh, Happy New Year, first of all, we decided we wanted to take a look at the year that was our biggest stories and the biggest stories of the year that just passed.
1: And the way we've decided to do this is our own personal peaks and troughs, our biggest story, personal biggest stories of the year. And then just the biggest news stories of the year, which, spoiler, were both troughs. <laughs>
0: uh. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll start with the good stuff. So, Bree, what was your peak for 2023? I don't want to do that thing where you remember the most recent things that happened to you more intensely. But I think it's fair to say that getting the endorsements for my novel and starting to hear from people reading my novel has been exhilarating for me in a really unique and special, exciting way. And I think it's because, I mean, you know more than anyone, you work on a book by yourself for such a long time and you just have to sort of sustain that faith in the art and the faith in the work and that it will somehow miraculously come good and you go through all of these like waves of emotion where you love the thing you're making and you fucking hate the thing you're making and you think it's genius and you think it's stupid and shitty and all of the while it's just you and no one else knows anything about it really and there have been a couple of writers who I really really admire and a couple of people in my life you being one of them who have finally seen this thing that I have just been sitting with by myself for over four years now. And it's put me in such an exciting position to like go into this new year, finally being able to share something that's really meaningful to me as a professional and as an individual, because obviously this book has so much of me in it. It's kind of both. It's
1: been exhilarating for me to watch as well. Like, I feel like it's my niece or something, this book. <laughs> like, that's how close I feel to her. Like, I'm so excited for you when I see each endorsement and read people's reaction. And I was so happy after I read it and it was good. <laughs> yeah. And that's what everyone's saying. My publisher
0: was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My friend Thea said that as well, that she's like weirdly invested in it now. I think anyone who knows. I feel like me I'm along
1: if- for the ride. Yeah. Which is so exciting. And it's such a joy. To see your friends succeed as well. Well, I always find it such a joy when great things happen for my friends.
0: Yeah, I feel that hugely. That's one of the biggest I remember my mum said this to me years ago, and it's still something I'm really proud of, and I think probably the nicest thing anyone has ever said to me, which was my mum saying, It's so lovely how you can be so happy for the people around you when they succeed.
1: It's an interesting aspect of your personality that you're not competitive.
0: Yeah, or, like, hyper-competitive with myself and, yeah, like, very But Yeah, but
1: not really with other people and particularly your friends and you're definitely the type of personality that could be.
0: Yeah, and that would be, like, rank. <laughs> well, or
1: it just like, makes your life hard.
0: Yeah, yeah, true. And also, though, like, I try to be very clear about the things that are and aren't zero-sum games. Like, people around me succeeding takes nothing from me. Often, it, like, we all lift together. But anyway, so that's – I know that's really recent, but that's been a huge, huge peak for me uh, and a smaller but – Deeply affecting peak has been that my dog, Udit, is finally a dog instead of a puppy. And I just want to say to anyone listening who has raised a puppy in an apartment without even a balcony and trying to like toilet train a dog in an apartment, I see you. I feel your pain. (laughs) (laughs) There was light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, it was just sort of six months of our lives where we were every almost every single night of sleep was being interrupted multiple times. And It just there's a way in which sleep deprivation uniquely, as you would know from having kids, just sort of shits on everything else in your life.
1: Yeah. And there's a parallel um, between the joy of your puppy becoming a dog that I feel with uh, babies becoming toddlers. Mm. I feel like that's when all the reward starts to come in. Although I know plenty of people who really, really love the baby stage.
0: Mm. Yeah. So that's, yeah, they're my
1: peaks. What are your peaks? My peaks, my biggest peak is such a cliche. (laughs) It's my boys. I have so much joy in them. And this is what I like about reflecting on the year as well, because the day-to-day can be really hard. And I know I laugh about it a lot on this podcast and make flippant comments, and I mean them. You know, I do see the funny side a lot, and I am, I think, in general, relaxed about aspects of parenting and don't uh, put too heavy a, expectation on myself with it. But, you know, it is hard. It's really, really hard and it can be demoralising and tiring and difficult and repetitive. And to watch them grow is the greatest joy in my life. And in this year in particular, one is six and the other is three and a half and they became real and proper friends. And watching their relationship. With each other has been a huge joy for me this year and watching what good friends they are to each other, how obsessed they are with each other. When we were doing the party invitations for my oldest Hamish's birthday, the first person he made me write an invite to was Cormac, his oh brother, God. which was <sighs> so you know just a beautiful thing for me to witness and be part of, and also means a lot to me because of how close I am to my siblings. and it is a gift I really wanted to give my own kids but it's not guaranteed no and only children have very full brilliant lives like with lots of company i'm not saying you need a sibling but it's just because of the relationship i had with my siblings i really wanted my kids to be close and they really are at the moment and it's gorgeous so that has been the big peak of my year and um has made all you know the really difficult nights and mornings and afternoons and being your absolute worst self, which happens in parenting all the time. You do things every month that you would have thought yourself incapable of before you had kids. (laughs) I've never, I've never been so angry as what I have been as a parent. I'm not really an angry person. And the way the fury they can bring out in you is just like... Almost indescribable.
0: (laughs) So we, Bridie, for anyone listening, when Bridie and I meet to record, we meet at the train station and walk to the studio together. And, like, some mornings I'm like, what's up? And you're like, my boys (laughs) (laughs) are killing killing me. me. (laughs) (laughs) But that's so lovely because, I mean, when I hear parents of adult-age children talk, one thing they frequently say is, like, oh, my God, it goes so fast like the kids oh yeah, being the, the big
1: cliche that's so true, the days along the years are short. short.
0: It's so nice to like stop and reflect on how much you appreciate that like growth and development this year. That's yeah, really try, beautiful.
1: Try and enjoy them. And my other peak has been this podcast. I've found it very – I love working with you and it's such a treat to see you every week. And it's been so reinvigorating for my creativity and my professional life as well when I – I really needed something different and it's made me use part of my brain that has been dormant for a while. I think I felt stagnant in some areas of my life which is a lot because of the children. Mm. Like you know when when you're in such that intense few like first couple of years everything else in your life suffers whether it's like you know friendships, fun, social life, your relationship, like all of it it's just not as good as you want it to be and I feel like I've come out of that and it's been re- replaced by other great stuff, obviously. But it, I've come out of that and this I feel so invigorated by this podcast. I love doing it. It really is a peak for me, a yeah, peak.
0: I find it's such a highlight of the week too. And I find that it has really gone a long way to filling a gap that I felt I had in my life for intellectual stimulation and sort of conversation slash debate that is also just fun like I feel yeah. like in a lot of areas it doesn't feel like a chore yeah in a lot of areas of my work the things that are intellectually stimulating are very like rigorous which is good but they're kind of heavy and often they are by myself and then the fun things are not intellectually stimulating necessarily whereas this one somehow just like is the best of both.
1: Oh, I feel the same yeah and what about
0: your trough oh okay I'm going to try and articulate a feeling. Let's see if it works. It's quite shocking to me to look back and realize that it was only in February of 2023 that I was in Antarctica for the whole month. And that trip really changed my life. It brought an incredibly deep perspective to me that I'm not sure anything else could have. And there were some really big and hard lessons for me to learn while I was gone. So one of them was that everything you read and hear about our sort of smartphones and social media scrambling and ruining our brains and attention spans is true. (laughs) For most of the trip, the four weeks at sea, we were in a complete communications blackout and it took me a full week to stop reaching for my phone and then the second sort of two and a half to three weeks before we got back into comms, I reached a level of thinking and feeling that was much deeper than I think I ever have, because I have always had a smartphone and social media in my working life. And I was also on this ship where almost every single other passenger was an in- at least one entire generation older than me. And you're talking about people who um, like minimum 50 years old and who are going sort of to the end of the earth on quite an unusual voyage. A lot of them arrived with questions or at kind of junctures in their lives. And and I met on that ship a lot of very smart and very successful and very kind of important people who were like screaming on the inside and who were not at peace with themselves because of the decisions that they had made in their lives. And the single thing, I, most profound thing I took from that voyage was that there is a kind of busyness that... A lot of people, but I will speak for myself, like choose not to recognize as being voluntary and unnecessary in our sort of day to day lives. And when I met people on this ship who were sort of in their later stages of life and some of them in their 80s and 90s, the ones that were at peace for themselves were the ones that had prioritized love in their life. And it could be their partner, sure, or their like children, but it could also just have been their, their friends and their extended family networks or whatever it was. And a real trough for me this year and something I sort of have been really struggling with since is that I felt like when I was away and towards the end of that trip, I reached some deep, deep and profound and important truths about who I wanted to be and how I wanted to live my life. And I just have not been able to put those priorities into action. Oh. And it is so hard to reconcile that. And it's I, like I feel like maybe that's something that will be like the rest of my life. It's not necessarily a year or a month, but I have created work, you know, even this show or the newsletter or just the fact that I write commentary sometimes that is so responsive to the news cycle. And my for my work to reach an audience, I have to use social media and I'm just like in a work and life situation where I have to be part of that churn and a part of that busyness that prevents that kind of more beautiful, deeper thinking. And then also just I am so driven and ambitious and I think that sometimes that can be a good thing, but when I look at like the last six months, I don't see a person who has prioritized love above all else. And I'm like, it's been almost a year since Antarctica. How do I get that back? It's really hard.
1: Well, especially at this stage of your life and career, and maybe you didn't spend this past six months prioritising love and life, but you're never going to get to a point where you have spent the entire year prioritising that. Like yeah. you have to go easy on yourself and recognise the seasons and the times that you have to do that kind of stuff. Because you know, feel like- Otherwise you're just going to feel like you're constantly failing because you are always, there are always going to be times whether it's, Sick family members, mm. whether it's intense work periods or whether it's he- ill health, even yes. where you are just not going to be able to prioritize those things. It's just life taking over as well. Yeah. And your intention is there. And as long as that's there, you will get there in the bigger picture things. you just got to be able to see the forest for the trees at times, I think.
0: Yeah, which is why it's nice to like sit at like the end of a, one year and the beginning of another and be like, are my values and priorities actually aligning to my actions? And if not, well, what can I change?
1: I feel that a lot as well. Like I said that my peak is the boys, but I also, when I was thinking about it, almost said my trough is that I haven't been present enough with them and don't <sighs> appreciate it enough. So it's not like I spend the whole year being like appreciating it. Yeah. It's just... Life mm. getting in the way. Yeah, what's your trough? My trough is going to surprise you. Mm. Probably surprise everyone, actually. Body image. Oh fuck! Yeah, I had a really really tough body image year. Yep. Which is really weird because I'd never had any issues in my teens or twenties. And feel like I skated through everything. I've joked to you yeah. before that I'm immune to
0: eating disorders, Yeah, which I we, am. Don't worry. I'm still yeah. immune to eating disorders. Well, that's the like the joke now which you and I can make with each other is like you're the last millennial without anxiety and the only millennial woman to have never had disordered yeah. eating habits.
1: And I and no, nothing having with disordered eating habits, but I just felt a loathing for my body that I have never felt before. No. Yeah. And it didn't – and nothing had changed. I didn't gain or lose weight. I was still – exercising regularly, as I have always done my entire adult life. And something just switched where I just had a lot of loathing and I had to self-loathing about it. I hated seeing myself in the mirror. Hated seeing some – not really photos, actually, but you would just have these random moments and I had to, like, talk myself down from it. And then I was talking to my friend Ali about it and she was surprised to hear it, like you're surprised to hear it. You know, I only vocalised it for the first time last weekend. And she – said to me this really interesting thing. Have you heard that thing about how your face changes every seven years and you've got to get used to a new face? No. It's a thing about ageing that like just getting older, it's not necessarily about getting new wrinkles and things like that. It's like your face, like your nose is growing bigger, like things shift around, probably weight gain and weight loss as well. And every seven years, roughly, people say that their face looks really different to them and then they have to adjust to their new face. And Ali said, I think that happens with your body. And I think every seven years we get a new body and we just have to
0: get in sync adjust with it. to it.
1: I think that that is what happened. Like my body didn't change in a way I think that anyone would particularly notice but me. And even I couldn't articulate it properly when I was like having these thoughts. But I think that my body just changed and I've just got to accept my body for the next seven years. God. But yeah, it was really tough. I should have spoken more about it to people around me when it was happening. Yeah, but that's easy to say with hindsight Yeah, because like, you don't And because want... it's so foreign to me as well. I kept thinking I was going to wake up the next day and it would be fine.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> I really – yeah, obviously I think and have written about this stuff and it makes me fucking furious thinking of the aggregate cumulative hours that brilliant people like you just – waste, have to waste because they are made to feel that way. Oh, exactly. Somehow. And that's like, what I kept I, thinking it's... in
1: my head. I'm like, why am I waste? And then you start punishing yourself for that because I'm like, oh, stop yeah. thinking. Why is your head filled with this? Yeah. Like there is so, so much more things to be thinking about. Anyway, that was a trough. My other trough is very relevant to one of the biggest stories of the year, which was, and I think very, very relatable. Yes. Money. I have not had so much financial anxiety since I was very young. Wow, and I just my I was consumed. I wonder if it fed into the negative body image stuff because I was having so many anxious thoughts about something else.
0: Can't help, like, yeah, you're just yeah. In like a, and you just yeah. get into a
1: rut. Oh, just just obsessed with money. Like just we just hemorrhage cash. Everything goes up. Whether it was like we rent a house and own an apartment, and my rent went up by like four hundred dollars a month, which was so much, and the mortgage went up as well. Obviously appreciate the position that I am in there. Yeah. But it's just, like, I have, can say it's tough. I'm yeah. allowed to say it's tough. Yeah. And um, school fees, childcare fees, swimming lessons now are $160 a month. Isn't that crazy for two kids? And that's not a luxury. Yeah. Like, certainly not in Australia is God, that no, a luxury. No.
0: Um, I just felt like everything kept going up and we could barely keep out. No wonder you were so stressed up. about the boys being so slow to learn how to swim. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's why I was like, is this a scam? They're not like, I learned quicker than this. Anyway, I, I know a lot of people can relate. It was just every everything went up and income did not.
0: I have found as well, so I live, I mean, this is not a secret, I live in the sort of like Potts Point area, King's Cross Point's Point area of Sydney, which is a very, very wealthy postcode. You know, uh, in King's Cross, there's that um, kind of irony where we have, you know, extraordinary organization like the Way- Wayside Chapel. And there are a lot of sort of rough sleepers. But for the most part, the actual postcode is extremely wealthy. So to the point where when I, f- I remember when I first moved there a few years ago, I had culture shock because cars wouldn't like Merck's wouldn't stop for you on a pedestrian crossing and people would yell at post office workers. I was like, what the fuck is this place? (laughs) Like the wanker ratio is through the roof. And it has been interesting spending the year hearing and seeing most Australians struggle with the cost of living crisis and being in a suburb where people have not changed their behaviours at all. The restaurants where you get dinner for two with a bottle of wine and it's like $400 as packed out as ever before. It has been very, just the gap between the haves and have-nots this last year has just widened so brutally.
1: Which is why it's one of the biggest stories of the year. And that has been a really interesting aspect of this economic phenomenon, the most recent cost-of-living crisis, because of course there have been previous cost-of-living crises and there's been previous housing crises, but what's played out in this and is part of the reason we had so many successive Interest rate rises which have knock-on effects for anyone, whether you have a mortgage or not, those have knock-on effects. The reason that those kept going up was because inflation wouldn't go down because we had this segment of the population so unaffected yep. and spending as much as ever yep. while the other segment who were getting most hit by those interest rate rises and you know every other price increase suffering more and more. And it's been a phenomenon noted by economists as well that we've never had. It's not quite an economic crisis yet, but it's like it feels pre-economic crisis, like it feels quite globally pre-recession. But we don't actually know if we're going to go into recession because the economy is behaving in ways that we haven't seen before, where we we have this inflation happening, people obviously suffering and we're starting not so much in Australia, but overseas to see industries affected by that and fewer jobs and all that. And yet the other segment of the population is just spending, spending, spending. And it's such a large segment. And it's very much obviously class lines and it's very much also along generational lines. Like you can really see it play out in the data that the worst affected are basically under 50 and everyone, not everyone, obviously. Like it's even worse if you're a single 65-year-old without a home, you're... Just devastating. Yeah, but in general, if you're over fifty, it's just living a completely different economic
0: reality. A friend of mine who works in um, a like a company that do travel and particularly like high end travel PR said that like business is just booming, and for the year of 2024, it's like as healthy as ever. People taking cruises and people going on multi-stop, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars trips.
1: And the housing crisis is part of this issue, obviously. And that's been another baffling thing. All these, in Australia specifically, all these interest rate rises and the house prices going up. Yep. Like so many economists have been baffled
0: yeah we were talking about doing a segment on this on the show and then we sort of didn't end up doing about how what we have been living through in the last 12 months like the economy which you know sort of you have like the markets and then you have the actual sort of housing industry and market and then you have sort of things like wage growth versus stagnation and employment levels like all of these different parts of the economy are behaving in ways that are not normal and the, yeah. like that they sort of don't make sense with each other cuz i remember about a year ago now everyone swore that we were coming into a year when there would be a recession
1: and it didn't happen and, it didn't and happen. we and the mortgage cliff hap- was meant yep. to happen
0: in june where we had people coming off their fixed rate terms. more fixed yeah. terms
1: and it was so, it was really really high like the rba named the figure in senate estimates and it was Hundreds of thousands of people coming off at the same time to their mortgages, like doubling in a lot of cases. And that was when we were meant to see the people forced to sell. Yeah, and it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Mm. And they don't know why. So we are not going to be giving you guys any predictions for the economy (laughs) this year because nobody knows what's happening. But it
0: will continue to be the biggest story of the year. We recorded this episode in December and it's coming out on the 1st of January. So we just like to acknowledge when we talk about this particular issue that, it's such a volatile situation, obviously anything could have changed in those two weeks. And we won't release an episode if we feel it's inappropriate, but please keep that slight delay in mind. The war in Gaza. I barely have any words
1: for this conflict. I've just been distraught since the first week of October, as many, many people that we know have been. And it's almost impossible to say what will happen next. Benjamin Netanyahu's stated goal of obliterating Hamas seems borderline impossible. There is no country on earth that has won a war waged against a terrorist group. They're almost never defeated in just pure military combat. Jonathan Friedland pointed out in The Guardian that Netanyahu has allowed Hamas to thrive. As Netanyahu said in 2019, anyone who wants to thwart the establishment of a Palestinian state has to support bolstering Hamas and transferring money to Hamas. This is part of our strategy to isolate the Palestinians in Gaza from the Palestinians in the West Bank. So it suited him for them to thrive until it has not. And then I think it suits him to say that's his stated agenda when I think that it's fair to say there are probably other agendas at play as well. Definitely, without a doubt, other agendas. And if he does somehow defang Hamas, then what seeds have been sown to grow in its place? There's an entirely new generation that could be radicalized by this conflict. The devastation wrought on Palestinian people in Gaza cannot be quantified. Europe Med Human Rights Monaster estimates 10,000 children have been killed in this conflict, many of them buried beneath rubble. You know, I find that, I can feel it in my chest. I find that so painful. But that's not to say that the lives of the adult men and women taken during this are any less horrifying. And I don't want that to be minimized either. The psychological damage inflicted on people in Israel cannot be underestimated either. The October 7 attack has shaken the ordinary citizen to their core. There's many who will live in perpetual fear now after that attack. And it was a horrific attack. And many citizens of Israel furious that their government could have allowed this to happen as well. You have to be very careful about generalising about what the experience of the average Jewish person living in Israel is, and I think at times that is being forgotten in the discourse around this conflict as well. Not to mention the, the repercussions for the Palestinians, the Arabs, the Muslims and Jews around the world. I am in despair for my Muslim and Jewish friends suffering during all of this. Most of them live in Australia, and what they have faced day to day on the street and also within their own families, has been devastating. You know, I think that the overarching feeling, particularly in Australia, has been impotence for any of us. I felt so impotent. I've done anything that I can do in my job and also donating money and posting on social media, and it has all seemed so inadequate. Or I can say that it's vital we don't look away or become desensitised to this. And I think that we should learn from how the conflict in Ukraine has gone that it is easy, easier than people realise to become desensitised to this.
0: It is a shocking time to see that US support and funding for Ukraine is slowing down and drying up. This is what I was thinking yep. of. And it's almost under the cover of this conflict yes. as
1: well that they've done it. Yep. And that's what happens when you move on to the next stage of the new cycle or the next, you know, devastating impact or the next world crisis. And there will be another world crisis in 2024. There almost <laughs> always is these days. And so we cannot look away. You cannot become desensitised to this. It doesn't feel like there's much that we can do. The two things that I would say that you can do, What I would tell people is to donate money, Mm. especially from Australia. One of the most effective things you can do is donate money. We will put links in the show notes to organisations where the money is being funnelled right where it needs to be because it's also very difficult to donate at the moment because so much humanitarian aid is not being allowed into Gaza. Mm. But there are still things we can do. Legitimate organisations, we have done the research, we will put the links in the show notes. There's a lot to read and I know it's very overwhelming and I have read a lot so it was quite difficult to pick out something that I recommend people to read if they wanted to know more about this conflict but also historical context for it. And one of the best things I read was In the New Yorker by the editor, David Remnick, Mm. and it was a long read titled The Cities of Killing. It had some incredible perspectives, observations. He was there at the beginning of October as it was all unfolding, but he has been covering this for many, many years And just incredible quotes in it, things articulated, things learned. And so if you read one thing, if there's one thing to help you get your head around it, or it's this article, which we'll also put in the show notes. Mm.
0: And it's difficult that obviously you feel apart from giving money, which is really obvious and has, can have huge positive impacts. There's nothing well, very little that we feel we can do over here. But what is also true is that Demonstrably, incidents of both Islamophobia and anti Semitism have skyrocketed in Australia since this conflict exploded. And acknowledging what it means that those hates were only ever simmering just underneath the surface and that all it took was something happening overseas for those pre-existing prejudices to rear their ugly heads and sitting with that and what that means about this country going into this new year and how we can all try and be a kinder national conversation together is the shared challenge for Australians here and now.
1: Absolutely. And to be aware of there's blatant forms of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia, which are relatively easy to see and call out. Mm. Be so, so, so aware and on guard for the insidious instances because they are almost worse and more damaging. Mm.
0: We know that was a really heavy note to finish on, uh, but there was no way we weren't going to talk about it and talk about what we feel and what we can and can't do about it. Uh, We will be back next week with the show that you are more used to. Uh, But in the meantime, may you and the people you love and care about show each other kindness. This episode has been recorded on Gadigal Land. Sovereignty was never ceded.
1: And it was produced by the wonderful Sam Devonport.
0: Cool story is wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week.